today I'm going to read from Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not things on earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to this earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body. And be thankful, people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God, the Father, through him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thank you. Thank you, Max. So this past week, I took a little break and uh, spent four nights up at Rick and Naomi Hunter's vacation home in Arnold. It was beautiful, and I definitely would recommend you renting that for any sort of family vacation up in the Sierra foothills. There's a little plug for the Snowflake Chalet. Um, but if you know Rick and Naomi, you know how thoughtful and considerate they are. And their vacation home is no exception. They offer a warm welcome. They sent me an email um, over a week ahead. And they also make very good use of their label maker. <laughs> there are notes everywhere in this cabin. And there was a rarely a moment where I had to wonder where something was or what to do. 
They not only had notes, they had a note about the notes. <laughs> which reads, I, I asked their permission to tell this on them. We know that we have posted a lot of notes and instructions around our home. Some guests have teased us about this, and we understand why. But believe us, there is a story behind each and every note. So please be patient with us if we seem to be over-communicating about obvious things. We found that the notes help our guests and keep our home in good working order. And then the final sentence, and by all means, try not to give us a reason to write one more note. <laughs> So it turns out there was one note that became particularly dear to me this week. One day, I went out to explore the town of Murphy's a bit, and I had brought uh, the garage door opener that was up in the house, and I let myself back into the garage from the car, and, um, and then um, I decided, you know, I just really don't want to be taking the garage door opener up and back, you know. I'd, I can like get in right away when I um, get down. Anyways, I had it all worked out in my head. And so I thought, I'll just do like I do it in my, um, at my house and when I was a kid where you push the garage door opener and you kind of duck underneath it. And this is an older one, so it doesn't catch you, which really delighted me and brought me back to my 10-year-old self of rushing through the garage, trying to get underneath the garage door before I could tell there's other people who grew up in the 70s here. Anyways, so um, I did that, and I let, that night I was sitting there thinking about my next adventure in the day when I was going to go to Calaveras Big Trees and kind of thinking of the details through my head. And then I thought to myself, and you may have figured this out already, how am I going to get back into the garage? <laughs> if the garage door opener is in my car, and I know the little side door is locked. My car is currently locked inside their garage, and I don't have a way of getting back in. This was not my most brilliant moment. So I um, kept thinking to myself over and over, like, how could you be so stupid? And I'm rehearsing this in my head as I go back to go to sleep, and I'm imagining having to call Rick and Naomi, having given them a reason to write another note, and <laughs> having to have somebody drive the garage door opener back up to me and Arnold for two and a half hours. But the next morning, I thought, I'm just going to do a little exploring, and maybe I'll figure it out. On my own, and by the front door, there was a hook with a little key and a note that said, key for side garage door. <laughs> and I opened the door and retrieved my car and the garage door opener, and I've never been so grateful for a note in my entire life. So thank you, Rick and Naomi. <laughs> Notes are really important. My daughter is leaving for school a week from Wednesday, and we've got notes all over the house, the things to do and to pack, but my husband and I are also giving her a lot of verbal notes. Don't forget to study. <laughs> Don't let anyone put something in your drink. Should we order you pepper spray? <laughs> Clean your room. <laughs> but you know what? There are not enough notes. She's going to encounter situations that we cannot imagine or foresee, and if, even if we could stick post-it notes all over her body, it's not enough. She will encounter things that no note can anticipate, that no note can change. And I think this is one of the hardest things about being a parent. 
We want the notes to be the thing that protects our kids. But in the end, our notes are not enough. Our kids are on their journey, and once they leave the house, it's our job to give them unconditional love and to support their wholeness as they journey through life. It's about so much more than the notes. Which brings me to Colossians 3. It contains some notes. More importantly, it invites the community in Colossae to foster an ecosystem where they can flourish in the way of Jesus, where their lives become full of joy and meaning and hope in a way that changes the world around them. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we invite you to take us beyond the notes we have written and into true transformation of the heart. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Paul makes a lot of notes. <clears throat> the things you don't do. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, discrimination, superiority. The things you do do. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another, forgiveness. And if we were to read on in the passage, Paul adds a few notes that some of us may take issue with. Things like, wives, submit to your husband which has been the source of a lot of pain and its implementation throughout history. And to the husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, which also seems to have a lot of patriarchal assumptions built into it. Along with obey your parents, do not provoke your children, obey your masters, and masters treat your servants justly, also not two of my favorites, and work heartily. We can deal with those on another day. But suffice it to say, Paul has a lot of notes. And some of them resonate, and some of them don't. Some of them are consistent with the rest of Scripture, and some contradict what we read in other places. Some are bound to Paul's context and culture, and some are timeless. But Paul's notes are sandwiched by these bigger statements. Things like, set your heart on things that are above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. When we read this passage, it's, it's easy to foc focus on the list of things to do and not do. And unfortunately, religious folks for a long time and in many places have mistaken the notes for a life of faith, compliance for transformation, and checklists for belonging. We all know faith communities and traditions where these notes have really acted as a behavior modification tool and a list of who is in and who is out. But I think there's an equal danger for those of us especially who maybe don't like everything on the list of dismissing the list while dismissing the invitation to faith 
and transformation and belonging. And this is what I am curious about. I'm less curious about Paul's notes and more curious about questions like these. What does it mean to have died and been raised with Christ? How can I experience in my life that it is hidden with Christ in God? How do I actualize a moment-by-moment awareness of being God's chosen one, holy and beloved? What might it look like if the peace of Christ ruled in my heart and the word of Christ dwelled in me richly? Those are very personal, individual questions. But Paul also speaks about community. How do we create communities where there is no hierarchy based on ethnicity or social identity? Jew or Greek, slave or free? How can we curate spaces where we can freely sing? Did you hear that at the end of the passage? And speak honestly about what Paul calls admonishing or, warm, or warning and cultivate gratitude. What does a community look like where that is flowing freely? These are big questions and they don't have simple answers. These are the questions that must be more lived into than solved. But I believe it's the asking of these questions, holding them close and nurturing them and referring to them over and over again that takes us into a life that lives the answers. Paul is on to something when he blends these deep spiritual mysteries of personal transformation with community practice. While each of us need to own our own individual journeys of transformation and faith, and that's important, we also need communities that are fostering an ecosystem where this transformation can happen, where it's possible, where we're encouraging each other, where we're helping each other move deeper and more fully into who we are created to be in the image of Jesus. We need spaces where we can have real conversations about what matters and see people for who they are, not the labels that we have given them. We need practices like singing and teaching and admonishing to help us open our hearts and minds to a different way of being in the world. When I was up in Arnold this week and after I rescued my car from the garage, I went to Calaveras Big Tree State Park early one morning before it got too hot. I had a couple of hours to, to wander alone and to gaze up at those enormous sequoia trees. It was interesting to read in the little trail map that after just a few years of putting down deep roots in the soil, sequoias don't actually have really deep roots because they then send their roots out across the forest floor and in doing this, they provide nurture and sustenance to other trees and other plants. This literally roots them in the community of trees and allows them to share these resources, allows them to communicate, to be connected. 
And I wondered, as I looked up at those trees and thought about what was underneath my feet, how conscious am I of the ecosystem that I live in? How can I, how can we together co-create ecosystems that optimize our capacity for flourishing in wholeness and in lives that are in the way of Jesus? The individual trees are truly amazing. Just, we've got some right out here. But they need each other, as do we, to grow into our full potential. And so as we think together as a church and come into a new, fresh season, how can we together root ourselves into the stream of Christ so that we, together, this place, are the gathered people of God be an ecosystem of justice, of hope, of forgiveness, of hospitality, of grace, of beauty, of compassion. This is a question I invite all of us to wrestle with because I believe this place has deep possibility to continue to be and to grow deeper in being that kind of ecosystem. This week, I was sad to read that one of the writers who has most formed me as a pastor and as a Christian, Frederick Buechner, died at age 96. I probably, he was probably the first person that I read that was outside of the fundamentalism that I grew up in. And uh, when I met my husband, Chris, for the first time, we shared that we were both lovers of Frederick Buechner, and I knew this could be a possibility right away. Um, and we've always shared Frederick Buechner quotes over our 30 years of knowing each other. And uh, you may have not, not noticed, but every Christmas Eve, I read Frederick Buechner's Christmas prayer. But as I was perusing um, this collection of daily readings that I read so often in my 20s that the binding broke down and there's coffee stains all over it, I found a reading with a note written in my handwriting that it looked as it looked like in my early 20s. And I just wrote a little note to myself saying my first reading of FB. So, and as I read it, I thought it's the perfect way to end our reflection on Colossians 3 this morning. So this is by Frederick Buechner and it's entitled, We Have It In Us. Yet they meet as well as diverge our stories and Christ's. And even when they diverge, it is his they diverge from, so that by his absence, as well as by his presence in our lives, we know who Christ is and who we are and who we are not. We have it in us to be Christ's to each other and maybe in some unimaginable way to God too. That's what we have to tell, finally. We have it in us to work miracles of love and healing, as well as to have them worked upon us. We have it in us to bless with Christ and forgive with him and heal with him, and once in a while, maybe even to grieve with some measure of his grief at another's pain, and to rejoice with some measure of his rejoicing at another's joy, almost as if it were our own. And who knows but that in the end, by God's mercy, the two stories, ours and Christ's, will converge for good and all, 
And though we would never have had the courage or the faith or the wit to die for him any more than we have ever managed to live for him very well either, his story will come true in us at last. And in the meantime, this side of paradise, it is our business, not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men and women of sincerity, to speak with our hearts, which is what sincerity means, and to bear witness to, and live out of, and live toward, and live by the true word of his holy story as it seeks to stammer itself forth through the holy stories of us all. May it be so. Amen. I'd like to invite you to to give to this ecosystem that we call Valley Press.